In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome in. Getting closer to spring ball getting underway. We're now under, under three weeks. They'll get things going on the 25th of March. Uh, pro ball, I should say pro day, coming up on March 23rd. So we've still got a few weeks here before things get going. It's uh, a relatively quiet period, I think you would say, for Wisconsin. However, they are continuing to do their workouts and putting out need for speed and putting out different videos and all the good stuff that gets everybody excited and uh, that we like to digest. And some people like to break down Zapruder-like film of uh, to see who's taking part, who's not, who's got boots on, who doesn't. Um, and I guess we'll continue to do that for a few more weeks until uh, we actually get to see the guys in person. But Wisconsin uh, did make a couple more assistants available this week, Jesse. We got outside linebackers coach Matt Mitchell and new tight ends coach Nate Letton uh, on uh, Monday. And, you know, two new guys, uh, Nate taking over for Gino. Don't have to pronounce his last name. Um when he took the quarterback's job at, at Notre Dame, he had been in the building already. So he kind of knew a lot of what was happening and some of the things that he was doing, he'll continue to do uh, along with taking over the position room. And then Matt Mitchell, obviously the, the head coach at Grand Valley state comes over to uh, finally finds a reason to come to Wisconsin, or I should say leave Grand Valley state had some opportunities uh, to go elsewhere, uh, but he comes to Wisconsin. And so we got a chance to talk to both of those guys uh, let's start with Matt Mitchell because he's taken over the outside linebacker room, which you would think would be the most impacted by the change in the defense. Uh, however, it sounds like that may not be the case. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but just his reasoning, Jesse, for finally pulling the, I don't know, pulling the cord and um, getting out of or leaving Grand Valley State to come to the FBS in the highest level of football. Well, he spent 13 seasons at Grand Valley State and the way he was describing it, it was a pretty good situation. He said that you might not think that a school like that would have the resources devoted to the football program, but they certainly did. And um, that, that program has a tradition of success. Brian Kelly was there way back when. And then Mitchell, in 13 seasons, won almost 80% of his games. He won 117 and 31, seven playoff berths, two national semifinal appearances. And naturally, that kind of success leads to other opportunities. But the, the majority of them at the head coaching level were in the FCS. And, and there were other assistant coaching roles over the years in the FBS. But he said he didn't feel like those positions were the right fit. And why was Wisconsin the right fit? It's I think you it's a common thread here from the coaches who come to Wisconsin in that there's a great history and tradition with the football program. They've had a lot of success. There's tremendous respect for the athletic department and everything that's happened the last 30 years. And obviously there's also relationships and people wanted to be a part of Luke Fickle's staff and Matt Mitchell had a unique situation because defensive coordinator, Mike Trussell, he and him were uh, college roommates and teammates at Cornell college in Iowa. And then they started their coaching careers as assistants together at Wartburg college, another small school in Iowa. So They've known each other for a long time and obviously followed each other's work. And so with Trestle being the defensive coordinator, it made a little more sense that Mitchell would come here. And I think this I think this is a really good pickup for Wisconsin just because 
This is somebody who understands every facet of running a program, who did it at an extremely high level in Division II. And he's also coming in as the guy in charge of the special teams. And he talked about his role in the special teams. It's it's kind of crazy to think, but the options are, are limited or they're certainly different in Division II. He was in charge of all six special teams units for each of the last six years. So I think he, he adds a lot of value here um, and provided a lot of insight in terms of his thought process and what he thinks about the the players that he has in the outside linebacker room. So even though he was somebody that when he was initially announced as a hire, I didn't know anything about because I'm not following Division II football, um, I, I think it's a really good pickup for the Badgers. It's certainly an, uh, an interesting one, and I, I, I would agree. I think it's probably a good one, but we'll see how it plays out. He's got a little bit of a different room um, just because, as I said before, it would feel like the position groupings would be, or I should say the uh, outside linebacker position would be the most impacted by it. But it, in talking to him, he kind of made it seem like it wouldn't be. Before we get into the differences uh, or the simil- similarities, um, he did lay out kind of what he sees in the room with the He's got nine guys, uh, only six currently healthy, which has kind of been a theme at outside outside linebacker and tight end. It's kind of been a theme where you're you're missing guys in the spring, and that's going to be again the case uh, here as Aaron Witt continues to uh, be on the outside looking in in terms of being able to take part, still wearing a boot, um, and it's it's it sounds unlikely he's going to be able to take part in, in spring. Maybe they'll get him back for fall, but a guy who continues. I'm trying to think, but maybe we'll do this for another show, Jesse, but guys that uh, were so tantalizing in small snippets, but we never got to see again. I'm not saying that's where he's at, but it certainly feels like it's been a really, really long time since we've seen him on the field. And it has been because it's the, the 2020 mail bowl. How long ago does that feel? Uh, just even in the last six months, my goodness. Um, but that said, the other six, the six guys that are healthy kind of sound like the group did last year outside of, Nick Herbig not being there. Uh, CJ Getz sounds like he is uh, in the lead at the boundary spot uh, behind him, TJ Bowlers, and then they got Jeff Pytrowski, uh there as well. And then at the field spot, you have uh, Daryl Peterson and Caden Johnson, and then uh, the uh, was the new guy, Jordan Meyer, right? Am I thinking yeah, that? Jordan, Jordan Mayer, I think. Jordan, Jordan Mayer, excuse me, yes. Um, so it's it's not a totally different looking group, but in, you know, in the way he talked, um, I thought there might be a pretty significant change in some of the responsibilities, and there there will be different things happening. And be, the guys will be asked to do different things, but it may not be as big of a change as some may think. That was my takeaway too that there will be more similarities than than differences, and I think it makes sense just because of how much success that group has had and the types of players that are still on the roster it's a it's a veteran group that's been in a system for a long time and had success I think CJ gets even though he started all 13 games last season quietly I would say had a, a productive year he ended up with 62 tackles eight tackles for loss Nick Herbig dominated the attention but I, I think Daryl Peterson is in a position to really step into a, a more substantial role now he started three games last year including the bowl game after Nick Herbig declared for the draft but Mitchell praised his leadership, that that was something that had stood out already. And, and Caden Johnson got reps too. But I think there's a lot of talent and you want to take advantage of what their skill set is. And um, so that that was noteworthy. I'm, I'm still really interested to see 
what exactly that three, three, five looks like the, the defense that Trestle has used before and how many changes he makes and which players he puts where, but it, it does sound like the outside linebackers are going to kind of continue to do their thing because they've had a lot of success. Yeah. Again, it's until we see it, it's all lip service, right? I mean, we don't have, we, I guess maybe that has bad connotations to it, but um, until we see it, we don't know exactly uh, how they're going to mesh it because while they do want to, and we've heard that from Trussell, we've heard it from Luke Fickle is they want to be able to mesh the two defenses you take the best of both systems and do it um eventually they're going to be themselves though right like they're going to be what uh, made them the type of defense at cincinnati that was quite good especially in 2021 when they went to the playoff they're gonna they're gonna play defense a certain way but they also have to take advantage of what wisconsin has and uh certainly outside linebackers because matt mitchell talked about it outside linebacker, the history of the outside linebacker spot at Wisconsin. And he talked about TJ Watt coming back uh, over the weekend and talking to the defensive line and talking to some of the outside linebackers. Like they have that ability to just pull guys from previous, from previous teams and come back and talk about their success, both at Wisconsin and at the, uh, at the pro level. And obviously TJ at the highest of levels as a NFL defensive player of the year last year. So the, the outside linebacker group in general, um, is certainly one of the ones places I'm going to be watching uh, in spring. Probably could say it about a, a ton of different groups, but they're up there. Uh, Nate Letton, meanwhile, was an analyst. and uh, Well, I don't want to call him an offensive line analyst because he was doing a bunch of different stuff, but he was an analyst until uh, the tight end spot opened back up. He was the tight end coach at Cincinnati last year. Um, he takes over. What was he doing prior to prior to this? Because it was I felt, I felt like it was uh, – Learning the offense, you know, Phil Longo and and uh, Jack McNeil and that type of thing, but also had a big role in special teams as well. Yeah, it was it sounds like it was a pretty big whirlwind for him. Obviously, you're you get to be a position coach at a group of five school that's had a lot of success. Then Luke Fickle leaves and you follow him here for a, a role. It's it's a lesser role, but it didn't take very long for him to be the tight ends coach again. Yeah, it was just learning the offense, listening to Phil Longo and, and Jack McNell since they've been in the offense so long and it's Longo's offense, explain the concepts and spend a lot of time at his computer and and contribute on special teams. That's pretty much what his roles were. Um, so, I mean, nobody's benefited more, if obviously, from Gino Gadugli leaving than, than Nate Letton. Um, this is a good spot for him with a, a group that's uh, got a lot of different body types and a lot of different skill sets. And I'm really interested to see how they utilize tight ends in this offense in general. I mean, it is an interesting group. Uh, they have a number of returning guys. They bring back bring back everybody, don't they, outside of Jalen Franklin in terms of uh, the tight end spot because Jack Eschenbach decided to return uh, and uses COVID years. So they have everyone back from last year, but there's still on un some uncertainty because the tight end position is not going to be exactly what it has been at Wisconsin. That said, Nate Letton did say that, you know, he was asked like what kind of tight end uh, he would be looking for. And I think a lot of people would be expecting, Oh, like this, this guy's going to be able to go out there and catch a ton of passes and uh, be like essentially another wide receiver. And that's not what, <laughs> that's not what he said. He said uh, the same thing that, Everybody wants we've got a guy that can block and catch, can do all the little things that you need to be done. And um, I think that they have a couple of guys that can do that. I, I think specifically at the top of the list would be Clay Cundiff. Unfortunately for him, 
the injuries have sidelined him. And it sounds like he's not going to be ready for the first part of spring ball. And I don't think he's going to take part in any contact role in the spring. Letton said he hoped by the end of spring, he may be able to do some on-air stuff, essentially non-contact stuff. So um, his you know, return is uh, coming along slowly. But he, he talked about Hayden Rucci being a physical body. He talked about Jack Pugh being a big body that could run and do some things. He also said JT Seagraves was kind of like uh, his – um, his promise was his potential was was through the roof. So there there are a number of different guys there, but like the outside linebacker room, what is it? What does the position look like, and how do they want to utilize it uh, in this offense? Tight ends have been used uh, by Phil Longo. There's, I mean, it's not like they just he's ignored the spot. The guy, the guys that they've he's had when they've had when they've had guys that can make plays, he's used them, and I feel like Wisconsin kind of has some of those guys. Yeah, and I've mentioned this on previous episodes, but the fact that Longo has talked frequently about he adjusts to the personnel that he has, and last year he had three very talented tight ends in North Carolina, so he used them a bunch. I There were only a handful of schools that threw to the tight ends more than North Carolina did last season, and he did that because he didn't have the experienced running backs that he had in previous seasons. So there's a lot of talent there at the tight end spot. I think there's some question marks about obviously staying healthy with Clay, and it's been too unfortunate accidents uh, or unfortunate injuries that were season ending the last two years. But I I think he's got a chance to really benefit from a Phil Longo led offense because of his pass catching ability. The one of the more interesting things that Letton said was he used the word rewire that he, the, the the tight ends kind of need to rewire how they not only run routes and learn this new offense, but adjust to the freedom created by Longo's offense and tempo. And uh, I think there's a lot of potential, but they do need to continue to be versatile to your point. It's not just running routes and uh, you're the blocker and you're the route runner. And that was something that he said too, is like the last thing we want to do is pigeonhole guys like that, because then defenses will be able to figure out what we're doing based on the personnel. So they want to be multiple and, have versatility and I think they do have that but it's just who, who's going to step up and who's going to contribute the, the the top three would seem to be Jack Eschenbach because he's played a lot Hayden Rucci because of his physicality and, and Clay Cundiff but there is a lot of upside with some of those younger players JTC Greaves and Jack Pugh are the first two that come to mind and and we haven't heard much about Cole Dokovich and Cam Large um, but it's a it's a deep room. It's just a matter of getting some of those guys more experience and figuring out how you're going to utilize the tight ends. Yeah. And the th- I think we should throw in another name, by the way, which I'm sure you're going to get to, but is as news and notes go, Letton did say that Riley Nowakowski was working with the tight ends, which is zero surprise whatsoever, since Wisconsin's clearly moving away from the fullbacks. But I think Nowakowski can be somebody who can help them at tight end. And obviously last spring, they stuck him at tight end because there was a depth shortage there due to injuries since the tight ends seem to consistently have injury issues. Um, but that's another name to watch in the tight end spot. I'm really intrigued by JT Seagreaves. I'll be honest. Um, I know that what they, they ran that one play for him uh, yep. in the bowl game, but I, his athletic ability at that position um, with this offense could certainly be a, a huge advantage for them. Jack Pugh the same way. Um, basketball player in high school, more of a basketball player than a football player in high school, but he has that same type of 
intriguing athletic ability. And uh, at this point in the year, that's what we get uh, enthused about. I should say I get enthused about you get enthused about leg strength. I get enthused about athletic ability. <laughs> do I? Um, uh, <laughs> last year is yes, you do it once. Oh, kicking leg strength. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. That's what, I, yes. I, why you were like, like I like to watch squat videos or something in the way. No, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not what I was saying. If you do, that's, that's you. I'm not judging no, you if that's not, something that you're into, but um, no, you're not, you're not a quad guy <laughs> that uh, you go around rating guys quads like some people do. No, I didn't know uh, that was a thing. Uh, who? Don't okay. Google it. Let's don't move Google on. It. Yeah. Don't Google it. Cause you'll go down a, yeah, you'll go down that rabbit hole because uh, yes. Um, so, the uh i am intrigued by by that athletic ability from jtc yeah. greaves go ahead well i have i have both of i mean i just did a story this week on 20 underclassmen i'm interested in watching that have breakout potential in in spring practice so it doesn't include 2023 signees who aren't here this spring it does include early enrollees but the tight ends that i have are pew and Seagreaves, and Seagreaves in particular um if people remember the way that former tight ends coach Mickey Turner raved about him. He talked about how Seagreaves came to a summer camp and completely blew away the coaching staff. And he was somebody just like Pew was a basketball standout. He had three division two basketball scholarship offers before Wisconsin even entered the picture for football. But at this camp that earned him the offer, he ran a 4.60 second 40 yard dash. And Turner said that was, and I'm quoting him, the best 40 time I've ever had from a tight end at camp. So there was clearly a lot of enthusiasm about his ability and his athleticism. And I do think it says something that they put him in for a play and ran a play for him and he executed. And so I think it's very intriguing to see what some of those guys can do in this kind of offense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's let's get into that article a little bit. All right. Um, that's a good transition. That's what I was going to transition to anyways, too. But you beat me to it. You did. You did the article about spring breakout players uh, and underclassmen to watch. And uh, you only could, you could only find 20. I could have done every single person, but I had to cap it. So, okay. All right. You know, there are word counts. Word yeah. limits. I got you on the internet. All right. All right. So of, of those guys that you, that you wrote down, which one are you most intrigued to watch? Ooh, I, I didn't rank it by who I'm most intrigued by. I know you didn't because I'm biased. Uh, I'm probably going to pick someone on offense. You, you why, might think I would say Nathaniel Vacos. Why? But... Why would? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> what? Nothing more exciting. Uh, well, no, I was just gonna. I was gonna say because you're biased. Like I don't. I didn't know you had an offensive bias, but uh, now well, I do. And, and now it's, it's now it's now it's out of the bag. And yeah, I, don't know how, I, I don't know how you put it back in there. Uh, it's kind of uh, like putting just, the toothpaste back in the tube. It's not going to happen now. Everyone's going to be thinking Jesse uh, Temple is, is the offensive bias guy. He's got. Well, uh, he's an offensive guy, <laughs> offensive minded guy. People like points. You know, they say chicks dig the long ball. I don't know. Jesse likes the offense. I yeah. I mean, you know, if it's between a quarterback and a defensive lineman, uh, I, I'd rather see touchdown passes, I guess, than a, someone blowing up a double team. I don't All know. Right. You do you. <laughs> um, I guess I'll say CJ Williams. Um. I mean, the quarterbacks that I have on here, Nick Evers and Braden Locke, I don't know how much we're going to see them, you know, like they got Tanner Mordecai and obviously those two in Evers and Locke have a lot of potential. And you imagine that those three are going to get the bulk of the reps in spring. Um, but I don't know whether they're, unless something happens to Mordecai in terms of an injury or something, it's, it's hard to, 
see how they'll be on the field a ton. With Williams, it's the intrigue of, okay, this is the, the highest rated wide receiver Wisconsin's ever had in the internet recruiting rankings era. And can he break through? And if he does break through, what is his skill set? Because he didn't, he played 58 snaps last season at USC. So he would be the one that I'm, I'm most intrigued by um, out of all the guys I think I have on my list. I mean, there's a lot of really good choices. Um, Bryson Green's up there. We'll see. Um, the yeah, quarterbacks, I, I mean, I mean, the quarterbacks. To me, that's that's kind of where it is. Uh, you mentioned they have Tanner Mordecai, and that is the case. But Tanner Mordecai is only going to be here for a year, so and quarterbacks don't always make it through an entire season uh, without yeah. needing somebody to step in. Uh, we've we've seen that at Wisconsin quite a bit, uh, even in you know last year with Graham getting beat up. Potentially, they could have gone to somebody behind him sooner. They didn't, obviously. They let him, they let him play through the injuries. But I, I kind of feel like the, the quarterback, the back, like whether it's Evers, whether it's Locke, whether it's, you know, um, Miles Perquette, like that's a very, very important spot to be watching for me personally. And that that may be at the top of my list. So like Nick Evers, I think Nick Evers over Braden Locke, but because Nick Evers in high school was rated one way, and he went to Oklahoma, and apparently he all of a sudden didn't be, became the, a lesser player, uh, according to to some. I want to see exactly what kind of type of player he is, and I think spring will give us a really good idea of that. Yeah, those are fair. I, I think way I was framing it was guys who could be breakout players this season. Um, and mm. I'm not saying I'm not saying Evers and Locke couldn't be those guys if they got the opportunity. But I was thinking of it more of, okay, who who do I want to see in the spring that will be somebody kind of like last spring. It was Skylar Bell. It was uh, this dude played a handful of snaps for one game in the Vegas bowl. And then all of a sudden it looked like he was going to be a starting wide receiver. And he was, and he had a great year for someone who barely played the year before. So that's kind of my thought process on people I'm interested in watching who have the potential to be that breakout star right away. But absolutely the, the quarterback snaps and every throw that all those guys are going to make is going to be absolutely fascinating to watch because that is the competition for the future of this program. Both players are going to be redshirt freshmen next season. So um, there's a lot of intrigue all the way around, but that was why I went with Williams. And I should say there were other guys that I didn't have on this list that are underclassmen that I felt like have already had kind of breakout opportunities, which is why I didn't list someone like Skylar Bell or, or Riley Malman who earned a starting role last season. So there were a handful of qualifiers in this, but there's a lot of intrigue this spring, no doubt about it. We kind of talked about it last week uh, in regards to the running back spot. You have a couple more. You have a couple guys on the list, Katie Akamelli and Jackson Aker. I think those are. I think that's another one. And, and again, who knows how much work a third running back is going to get in this offense? But considering the injury history of the two guys in front of them, those are two other guys that I think potentially stand out Katie Akamelli we didn't get to see on offense last year he was he was at safety last year so what does that look like with the ball in his hands same thing with Jackson Aker um has he dropped some weight from playing fullback you know has he picked up a little bit of speed because he was a fantastic running back at Verona and what can he um make that transition back and uh grab that that number three spot behind those top two guys um I'm I'm intrigued by by that spot as well. 
Yeah, and I mean, he's not an underclassman, obviously, but is this the year that Julius Davis can do something with a new position coach and break through and get more opportunities? He's been in this program so long. People have known about him for even longer because he was an in-state running back. I think he was the first player to come in on scholarship at running back from the state of Wisconsin in seven years or something like that, or I don't It was uh, since, I want to say it was since, um, it wasn't since Melvin. It was since uh, the guy that he played with um, that Vontae ended up with Jackson. The yeah, I think Vontae, no, no, who, yes, I think it was Vontae Jackson. Uh, um, who would have come in in 2012 or maybe 2013? Maybe I'm wrong about that. No, you, 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 you know it much better than I do, but um, trying to think who the other Wisconsin running back would have been. Um. Yeah, but Jeff I mean, Lewis. No, no, that's way. That's a long, long time ago. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, he was still but, on the team when I when I started covering it. So. But um, yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of spots with a, a lot of competition, and it's kind of strange because Braylon and Chez are the clear top tier guys, but I think you're going to need a variety of players in this offense with the tempo that they play and the number of bodies they want to use. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there anything on anyone on defense that stands out to you? I know you're an offensive leadist, but is there anything that stands out to you on, uh, on offense or on defense? Excuse me. Well, sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of questions. Um, I mean, Curtis Neal last spring was an early enrollee, but he couldn't do anything because he was coming off an ACL injury that he suffered as in high school. And he ended up playing in four games this past season for 47 snaps. Can he, compete with Gio Paez and that's a huge question mark for me is nose guard what happens with Keanu Benton gone um and in the secondary like Ricardo Hallman he started seven games to open last season and then his playing time just dropped off a cliff basically until he uh played in the bowl game um that was his next start like they're gonna need a lot of DBs I think and he's someone with experience and of course they've got a couple young guys, four-star guys. And one of them's Braden Moore, who's a safety, who's an early enrollee. So I think there's a lot of positions I'm interested in. Um, even if again, I'm an offensive elitist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, there, there are a couple more things to get to. Uh, I wanted to bring this up. The NCAA, uh, their, their rules committee last week or earlier, was it earlier this week, last week? I, I don't recall. It doesn't really matter. Uh, made three rule proposal change, uh, three changes, proposed three rule changes. And I wanted to get your take on them. They're, they're designed, I think, to help the speed of the game, um, which you and me both would be just fine with. The first one is prohibiting consecutive timeouts, mm -hmm. essentially icing kicks at the end of regulation or at any point, I guess. Um, you're okay with that. I'm all for it. Okay. Uh, I don't really see how often that comes into play, but I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how often that's getting, like, what's it going to cut 30 seconds, a minute, maybe it's annoying um, though. It is annoying. It is annoying. Uh, no untimed down at the end of the first quarter or at the end of the third quarter. That means obviously like if there's a defensive penalty, like they're at the end of the half, there's a defensive penalty at the end of the half, you would get one untimed down. Same thing at the end of the game there would not be an untimed down at the end of the first quarter. Third quarter, you would just go to the second and fourth quarter, respectively. Yep. I something think that's else, a great rule. Something else that I don't really see a lot happening. Um, but I can't even recall the last time it happened. 
for Wisconsin. I can't either. <laughs> yeah. And then the third one is, is uh, the big one. I think that people will recognize uh, because the NFL does it right. this way, but um, the clock runs after first downs, except inside of two minutes and a half. Right now, okay. right now, for, for those don't know, I'm assuming most people here do. Uh, every time the every time the team gets first down, the clock stops until they get the chain set, and then they start rolling. I don't, I mean, I don't know how much what the average time there is um, before it starts going again. But this rule proposal would take that out. I think I'm in favor of this one too. Um, I mean, that was that is always even growing up. I remember thinking about that was the, one of the big differences between college and the pros that, that it was kind of cool that if you got a first I don't know why I thought that it, if you got a first down the clock stopped but I'm a media member now and I want shorter games so <laughs> it's fine by me yes I think that will have an impact maybe in trying to come back but once it gets inside of two minutes it's going to be the same rules so I'm all for whatever potentially gets the game done quicker. And in this situation, that would be the case. Um, what? I think these changes are good because to me, they don't threaten the integrity of the game. Like, and I say that thinking about a clock implemented in baseball. Yeah. Um, oh, you don't like, like, it? you don't like it. Well, I'll be real here. I haven't watched baseball in a long, long time. It's, <laughs> tremendously boring i spent a season covering the white Sox and realized that um helped me realize what i didn't want to do for a career but it's so it's like the antithesis of what we've come to believe baseball is it's such a i don't know i don't watch it anyway so i guess i don't have a leg to stand on here but it feels the point i'm trying to make here is that feels like such a departure from what the sport is whereas eliminating I mean, having a running clock after a first down is doesn't really, I think, change the integrity of the game. No, because we've seen it done in the NFL forever. So, right. Yeah. Um, the thing with baseball, and I, look, I don't have to cover it on a day to day basis, but I do have to pay attention to it. And uh, there are games at night that I have to worry about. The quicker, the better. So, well, sure. Uh, I don't, in integrity, I, I don't, you know, really care. Integrity is um, overrated. It is very much when it comes to baseball. Um, so, yes, the, a few other things that could potentially, this won't happen. I don't know why. Apparently, there, there must be a uh, lobbyist, a college band lobbyist somewhere, but the 20 minute over, the 20 minute half times, there's just no reason for it uh, other than for the bands to play uh, because 20 minutes isn't just entirely too long. I, I feel like, the NFL is 12 minutes and it feels like five um, NFL goes so quick at halftime and college football just feels like it drags. Would you be okay with a, uh, a cut in that? Absolutely. But I'm not a yeah. player who might need those extra minutes. Of course. Yeah. But like, well, I mean, why would uh, the extra minutes know. for what, you know what I mean? Like uh, you're recovery. Doing, you're, yeah. Come on. I, I don't have a problem with recovery, but you don't need, 20 minutes yes yeah. 15 seems reasonable 15 seems reasonable and i also think you could get the band done in 15 minutes too so that i don't know if that's what's holding it back from that and i certainly don't want to uh enrage any band enthusiasts that may listen to this podcast uh because wisconsin's band is is quite good 
And uh, so I don't want to do that, but I'd be okay with uh, cutting back halftime a little bit because uh, 20 minutes is just way too long, especially when you're sitting in a um, press box that has no air conditioning. So that's kind of a me problem more so than uh, a college football problem though. All right. I had one, I got a, a couple Twitter questions. I'll throw one out at you here that I don't think, I think I know the answer to it, but I'll, I'll let, okay. uh, let you do it. Uh, Rob says, uh, I think it's probably based on what happened with Tony Granado and him talking to the press afterwards, but uh, has anyone attempted to contact Paul Chris to get his side of the story? Um, yes. And I don't think he's talking. <laughs> I don't, yes, if, I mean, it, and that shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody, right? Uh, after what, you know, he's not necessarily always, he wasn't great for the media, like in terms of giving us a lot of good stuff. And he, I think those media availabilities were some of the things that he disliked about the job the most. Um, so him not wanting to talk probably plays a role. I think, you know, maybe the the buyout also, uh, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all, right? Because, I mean, the, the buyout and not being able to say anything uh, bad about either, you know, either side being able to say anything bad about the other, I think also plays a factor. But I don't imagine even if he were to talk, like he would say something bad about about no. about it. Like it's that's just not the way he does things. So, you know, I know people have reached out and there has been the attempt to get uh, him to talk. And it's the same way, same thing with Jim Leonard, you know, the, at the end of the bowl game, we got a chance to talk to him for like three minutes and he gave a little bit, but he didn't want to talk about certain things that night. And I think, you know, I, there have been people that followed up and tried to get more out of it and it just hasn't happened. So um, I would be fascinated by it though. I don't know about Paul Christ. Well, if you get Paul Christ without a camera in his face and without, you know, a recorder and you're just talking to him, I think it'd be fascinating. I agree. What happened in that room um, with him and Chris McIntosh. Uh, Jim Leonard would be the same way. Uh, fascinating to to get the background on exactly how that all played out, the timing and all that good stuff um, that we don't necessarily know because neither one is uh, somebody that would leak stuff to the media uh, or which obviously was proven. <laughs> uh, with the Jim Leonard situation, you, you, at some point I think we'll we'll get uh, a story. I don't know if we'll ever get Paul Chris story, but I think at some point we'll get a little bit more on Jim Leonard. And um, at uh, I can't wait to to read about it or and hear about it. So that is going to do it for the show this week. We're gonna catch up next week. Get closer and closer. Got actually a a big announcement. I'll I'll tease it. We got a big announcement next week uh, regarding the show. Uh, very excited about it, and uh, we will uh, talk about it next week. Uh, Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.